Don't forget to check out our website, HockeyHurts.com, and check us out on Twitter, at Hockey underscore Hertz. Additionally, you can follow Cameron Walsh, at Walshy66, and Ryan Wilson, at Gunner Stahl. Hello, and welcome to the Hockey Hurts podcast for May 31st of 2015. I'm Ryan Wilson. I'm Cameron Walsh. And we have the Stanley Cup final matchups set in stone. Chicago Blackhawks defeated the Anaheim Ducks in a kind of a blowout in their Game 7 matchup. And Tampa Bay shut out the New York Rangers 2-0 on Friday night. So we have Tampa versus Chicago. I think that this will be a very, very fun series to watch. Both play a high-tempo style. Both have the horses to make that interesting. Uh, What do you say? I, I, I agree. Um, I, I think out of the four teams left, um, once Tampa went through, I think we were sort of guaranteed a uh, win-at-all-cost sort of style of hockey from both the East and the West. And um, with the way Chicago is playing, it, it, it still looks that way. It still looks as though you're going to have two teams that are going to try and win it rather than make the least amount of mistakes. Yeah, and I, I agree with that. I think um, both teams kind of enjoy having the puck and go out of their way to try and maintain it and are limited, or at least try to limit themselves in, in how much dump and chase they play. This leads to skilled players attempting some cool zone entries, which buy time and space for drop passes or other controlled plays, which leads to the fun kind of offense that... Uh, I think we all like to see. So, no offense to the Rangers when when they lost Friday, I was content because I think that kind of guaranteed. <laughs> well, guaranteed at least for me and what I want to watch style wise. Um, guaranteed an awesome final, even if Anaheim were to go on there, they they do some things that I I, I guess I just enjoy more than watching New York. Um, New York was a very good team and deserved to be there, but um, you know just selfishly from kind of just what I wanted to watch. I, I didn't mind that they lost. Oh, I, I agree. Out of the four teams that were left, New York had the style of hockey I enjoyed the least. Um, so the three that once Pepper went through, it was like, okay, well, at least we should, in theory, at least get a um, an exciting style of hockey. It, it's interesting because obviously we've only got, you know, at the least a four-game sample size and at the most a seven-game sample size. It'll be interesting to see what the Corsi results are at the end of the series in regards to small sample sizes and, and what team gets results for whatever it is that they do. <clears throat> because it's one of the things that, that you've constantly said is that the playoffs are such a small sample size, it's hard to gather trends and trust those trends. So after these teams have played three series now, the sample size is larger, will this fourth series run with those trends that they've shown in, in those three previous series, or will it just be completely different and the results just be... It's the thing, you've just got to get to the dance and then you know, never know what might happen. But unless you get there, you don't get that opportunity, do you? I think for the most part, both teams are relatively healthy. I know Roosevelt's out and that's kind of hurt Chicago's D a little bit. Lucky you know. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll get to that part a little bit later, but as far as sample sizes, the regular season, obviously, is the biggest sample size. And in the 82 games, score-adjusted Fenwick, 
Chicago at 53.4% was fifth overall. Tampa Bay, 53.3% at sixth overall. So you have two of the top possession teams in the NHL. Um, go figure. That seems to always be the case in the Stanley Cup final. It's almost like this has predictive power uh, or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> uh, so two teams that value it, like I had mentioned earlier, and, you know, it will be really interesting to see, because obviously within that the good possession, there's stylistic differences um, with the different personnel groupings that each team has. But I like a, a ton of the forwards on both teams. Uh, the defense on Tampa is really good. I think Victor Hedman is incredibly underrated, and even more so. And I know we've talked about uh, Anton Strowman on the podcast yeah. in the past. Uh, yeah. I think he's marvelous. Uh, and then there's Duncan Keith, who plays a freaking half an hour every game, even if they don't go to overtime. And he is never breathing hard. So at first, I thought that maybe Anaheim would wear down um, Chicago's D, specifically Duncan Keith, because they are a really physical team. Their forecheck is heavier than most teams, and they do lay the body down pretty good. But um, Duncan Keith did not look like it impacted him at all. No, that's true. That, that whole that whole way to hammer down with the hits, you can make the argument that that's what slowed the Ducks down in the end anyway. They were so intense on being physical and being hard that I think they just ran out of path. Yeah. If you, first... throw, if you throw a hit, you're still laying down the... You're still getting contact yourself. Like that's the it's the one argument against throwing all those hits. I mean, they got to games five, six, and seven, and they were just slow. That's just the reality of it. If they had have won that in game five or, or game six, I, I would have felt a little bit better for them. But it's just it's one of those things where it's the risk you run playing physical is you yourself can get tired because of it. Trouble with that is Anaheim, a lot of their success was predicated on that heavy forecheck. They And they do a really nice job of getting um, the two guys in there, forcing turnovers, and then uh, they do a really nice job in limited time and space when they're down low, below the hash marks in the zone. So it's it's a double-edged sword. <laughs> That's probably all I was trying to say. Is it's really difficult to get that because of that reason. Um, I forget. I lost my train of thought. Sorry, that was my fault. Um, so do we want to discuss the? Do we want to discuss the actual Tampa Chicago series, or do we want to discuss highlights and lowlights from the two East and Western Conference Finals? Do we want to just cut the ties and move forward? Yeah, we can do that. Let's. Talk about the matchups. Um, uh, you go. I think forward-wise, they're pretty even overall. Um, Tampa has the two lines that are both producing now, whereas before, yep. um, perhaps maybe that wasn't the case when the Stamkos line was kind of. I wouldn't say struggling, but the tangible results weren't there, which is why it's so important to to have a supporting cast. Because if you keep winning, it buys 
your players time. Yeah, the good point. players will always eventually produce if they have an, if you give them enough opportunity. Anybody can go through that cold stretch. And sometimes it happens in the playoffs and it's unfortunate. But if you keep winning rounds and keep winning games, eventually your luck will turn around and I want to say in the first eight games of the playoffs, Steven Stamkos only had three points. And in the next seven or so games, he's got 14. Yeah, he was, and and you're right, it did come down to having the opportunity to just get over the hump of of whatever was ailing him in regards to touch or finish or he might have had the flu or anything like that. So to get him through those things, getting through those things and they're reaping the benefits of having a roster deep enough to carry him for a little while. I was wrong on that. The next 11 games, he had 14 points. So still <sighs> seven goals. So Tampa bottom time. Um, certain teams aren't, or certain players aren't that lucky. And um, Pittsburgh comes to mind with Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin. Both lead the NHL in points per game since 07 in the playoffs and they seem to always take a lot of blame, but uh, in reality, I think their supporting cast, uh, whether it be through, uh, you know, injuries certainly play a huge role, but also uh, perhaps the front office has let that duo down quite a bit over the years. Um, Whereas Tampa is built a lot better, uh, tons of playable talent and, um, bought their superstar some time to, to get the kinks out or whatever was going wrong, and now they're firing on all cylinders. And, and excuse me, and looking good. Mm-hmm. It's, a t- the, uh, it's tough. Well, I think you said this last podcast. It's really hard to compare superstar to superstar in regards to results given who's better who's not when it comes to the playoffs because it's such a team sport and if you don't have that team support there then it's really hard for the superstar to shine I mean you look at Ovechkin he cops a lot of the slack for the Capitals not succeeding yet you look at the supporting cast around him nobody has really stepped up to help him when he's been a little bit off top notch. Just like Carey Price, like he was the reason that the Montreal Canadiens were what they were. He dropped off 2% from his regular season performance in the playoffs and he got comfortably out by Ben Bishop when I still wouldn't say Ben Bishop's a better goalie. He just had a better support team around him. So what do you do? You can't rely on your superstars all the time to do it on their own. It just doesn't doesn't work in this sport. Nope. And Tyler Johnson is the main reason that they were able to buy time because that triplets line has been unreal, just ridiculously <laughs> good, and more importantly, as a fan, fun to watch. Yes, very very true. And Kucherov just. He makes seven hundred and eleven thousand. Uh, Tyler Johnson's three point three three mil. I mean, that's just fantastic. Value. Does, this is the thing. You know how going for a cup it used to be. You get your 
your, your core assembled, you'd have a few fringe players and then at the trade deadline you would try to recruit that missing piece to, to push through. With the way the salary cap is now and how teams are now starting to fill out, you know, 60 to 70% of their roster with their core and then you have to try and fill in the other hole, is building a cup winner now going to come down to having a stockpile of drafts, having someone come out of nowhere who's cheap on their entry-level contract and having two or three of those ECLs, those ALCs, in your roster so you can keep your roster together. Because it seems like that's what Chicago has managed to do. They identified the players that they had to shift out because of salary cap problems. They didn't get sentimental. They shipped them. And then they relied on their drafting and their ability to sign cheap, young free agents to come in. Every team makes a few errors here or there. But it feels to me as though that old traditional model of getting a team over the top isn't necessarily going to work anymore. Well, I certainly think there are many different avenues to success in the NHL um, with the salary cap. Uh, I think as long, no matter how you're acquiring players, whether it's through draft, free agency, um, I guess those are really the only two ways you can acquire players, or trade, I I suppose. Uh, (laughs) Maximizing value. um, Never, you know, you have to get what you put in at least. And I think a lot of teams pay for past success they pay a premium for what the player once did as opposed to what they're actually doing under their current contract and i think uh, a lot of teams that's how the cap space kind of gets eaten up pretty quick Um, yep and on the flip side of that you can get lucky or you know sometimes lucky but if you put in your work on the draft and um, for Chicago, Brandon Saad, a player they passed over three times before taking him in the second round, has turned in, out to be a remarkable young player on an ELC contract that is certainly making tons of excellent plays every night and very noticeable. Um, so, you know. And that's, that's sort of, yeah, that's sort of what I, what I mean. It's like, I think you, to be able to pay for future performance rather than previous performance, you have to have those guys already in your system. Otherwise, why would that player come and play with you? Because you're not going to pay them enough. Well, Tampa, a big reason why they're there. Anton Strahlman making 4.5 mil is a steal. Correct. That's a, exactly right. He, was, he is yeah. the rare underpaid UFA signing yep yep and that's the only one i can i can possibly think of as well that's that's it he's the only one i can think of that would be like that that would be the underrated the under cost signing i think you're right well i think paul martin for pittsburgh kind of fit that bill a little bit in the past. I, don't think I, I don't think Pittsburgh got as much out of him as they could have due to injuries, which is what you almost say about Pittsburgh every freaking time you bring someone up. But, yeah, you're right. Martin would have been low under cost had he stayed healthy. And you hope that Strawman does as well because 
Hill and Hedman together are really fun to watch in regards to how they control the defensive zone and, and then how they get out of there uh, with each other's help or with their own feet. So it's they're a good pairing. That's a really good. Um, they could be the premier six going to be the X factor in the series. And depending on how progressive uh, Norris voters are in the future, he he should get considerable. Um, notice for his play in that regard but we'll see down the road if um because analytically he's superb yeah well we've seen with some of these awards that analytics don't mean jack in regards to the people that that pick the awards i think i think it's coming around though people start talking about mark giordano a lot more than they used to and he's certainly deserving if not for an injury i think he probably would have won the norris this year I think you're right. I think you're right there. So I think a little bit of it's coming around, but um, you know, it remains to be seen. A little while to wait. Um, well, we haven't talked much Chicago. What can, you, what can you say about a team that basically only plays four defensemen? Like that's just to do it though. I know, and, and it's not that it was easy winning, you know, games five and uh, four and uh, games six and seven, but they still they still did it. Like that's the reality. You get there with it, and it's like quite handy. They shouldn't too. be able. To, yeah, they shouldn't be able to do this. In theory, when you, you think about it, you get to this end of the year. It's supposed to be the team with the greater depth, you know, which is something you and I go on about a lot should be able to, to shine through from the team that's just being carried by its superstars. But you get there and you look at Seabrook and Keith and Jarmuson and Oduya and it's 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 not like it's not like their bottom pairing of the three people that have been rotating through that bottom pairing for Chicago um, do much. They try to get them out there as little as possible and just go, Can you do it? to the four big guns? Yep, okay, off you go. Team well, that's great faith. Yeah, I wasn't expecting that. I wasn't expecting him to be a game changer or anything by any stretch of the imagination, but I wasn't expecting him to struggle with it so much. It just shows you how hard it is to come back from what Tiemann has had to come back from at his age. Yeah, and Pascal Dupuis going through a similar thing, you have to wonder. Um, he's a little bit younger, three or four years younger, but... Um, Demonen's been atrocious, and that's just not the player that he's been. He's been one of the best defensemen in the league for quite some time. And, and that's such a sharp drop-off, isn't it, from where he was to what he is now. I think that's what makes it so stark as well. It sticks out so badly because you were hoping to get something closer to what he was, not as far away from it as he currently is. And clearly Chicago did not think that this drop-off was going to happen because... Um, they are now on the hook for this year's second round pick and next year's second round pick because of how far they've gone. Yeah, and it's, it's, it must be frustrating for <laughs> the scouts when it's all of a sudden it's like you gave up what and we've lost what. Yeah. So at least they got a game-winning overtime goal out of Vermette, but that's a first-round pick, and quite frankly, he's been pretty blah for them to the point yeah. where they've healthy scratched him a few times. It's just, that's the thing. It's like you just, you never know. 
Because look, I get there and um, I think Braden Coburn's been quite good for Tampa. That's uh, a signing that you can go tick. That one worked. You can get there and make the argument that the Vermette and the um, Tampa signings haven't worked, but it hasn't mattered. No, that's, that's how good they are. <laughs> yeah, it's not like those two signings have cost Chicago a chance for the Cup. They're in there anyway, despite those what you'd consider poor trades. So you just go, oh, whatever. It just shows you how good they are. Must be nice to run an organization well for a number of years to have that wiggle room. And yeah, that, it is a lot of wiggle room, isn't it? Like that's the that's the thing that's great about it. Is that's the amount of wiggle room. That's going away next year with $10.5 million contracts to Taves and Kane. Um, But to this point, they've been fortunate and they've created that wiggle room through either smart drafting trades or, um, you know, just maneuvering their cap properly. Because they had to gut a good chunk of that uh, 2012-13 team, was it? Or was it at, no, I'm sorry. It was the first it was the one. Yeah. Um, yeah, they had, think about the guys they gave up then. Bufflin, Ladd. I don't um, I don't know. Those two alone, that, that's pretty significant. And after this cup run, you're going to talk about losing guys uh, like Sharp and, and Bickle, I think, at least. Sharp for sure. Because they have well, and inside, and that money's only going to come one way. Yeah. So it's it's unfortunate to have to move a guy like Sharp, but um, Blackhawks aren't the only team that have ever felt the pinch of the salary cap, and I'm not so sure anybody's going to feel bad for them. So. Uh, no, that's just truly really not a, not a bad point. Um, I, I, I will say this guy though. I will give Corey Crawford credit. He looked a mess early in the playoffs, and he's been good when he's had to be good. Like the start of that game seven, Anaheim were coming hard, and he had to make some key saves in that first five or six minutes, and that allowed Chicago to score first. Um, He's got his critics. A lot of them, it feels to me like a lot of the criticisms about Crawford are the same that that Fleury gets. Um, But what he's done... Above and beyond what Fleury did, is he managed to pull himself out of poor play during a run rather than it just going carrying through the run. If he doesn't get back on track, they don't get this far either. So, you know, kudos to to Crawford for getting his shit together, I suppose, and and being there when they needed him to. Well, I think Crawford's um, average goalie. But <laughs> to beat that drum, you know where I stand on paying security. Yeah, no, I know, I know. I don't think we're ever going to agree on, on the goalies, but... Um, He's above average. Uh, he's at, they're at, I think, like 933 or 932 for their even strength. Sabre percentage is playoffs, so Crawford's done more than enough. Um, well, considering he gave up so many early against Nashville that were even strength, they weren't power play goals he's given up, so... Um, He's done miraculously well to drag that down as far as he has. Yeah, I agree. And um, it doesn't matter. He's he's here now, and they're doing well. And, you know, quite frankly, the uh, on, on the other side of the ice, uh, Ben Bishop, somebody that uh, maybe aesthetically looked 
pretty wobbly in round one, and he's kind of turned his game around as well, and including back-to-back series where I believe he had a shutout in game seven. That's true. That's right. That's, that's two in a row. So that, that's really nice for Tampa to have him step up like that um, in those at that moment. You know what I mean? Like that was one of the areas that you know all the experts and all of us bloggers and, and things along those lines were wondering about Bishop whether he'd be capable at, at this level and. Um, so far, he's, he's proven that he can. So um, it's good. It, it doesn't feel like it doesn't. It honestly doesn't feel like the West is should totally blow out the East. It felt like that last year with with LA. Um, it has sort of felt like that for a few years now. I go all the way back to when Pittsburgh actually beat Detroit in '09. I still felt like Detroit should have won that series. Um, have you had a series? through here the last few years that you felt like it was a pretty even matchup? With a final? Yeah, with the final. Um, what was last year? Chicago and New York? Or no, LA, New York. No. LA, New York. No. Boston, Chicago. The one before that was, the one before that was LA and New Jersey. That felt like it was no, going Boston, to be No, Boston, Chicago in the lockout year. Ah, oh, yeah. Okay. That's, yeah, there you go. So that's one out of how many? Yeah, you know, it happens. But this year doesn't feel that way. For you me, can't argue with some of the conference finals, though. L.A., Chicago, I mean, those are just heavyweight yeah. fights. Yeah. And look, this, this Chicago Anaheim one was building towards that. It only needed a decent game seven, and you would have said it was a great series. Instead, just felt like a bit of a peanut, considering the underperformance in game six and the underperformance in game seven from Anaheim. But First five games you, were amazing. That's what I mean. So I only needed at least one of the last two to be just as good as that, and everyone would have probably compared the two seasons, the two series. But um, it shows you how good that LA Chicago series was last year. That that's the bar, and it's really hard to get back to that bar. It's so good, it's so high. Yeah, I have high, I have high hopes for this series. Um, I I've been trying to think about who I think is going to win, and. I honestly Gosh. don't have – I'm not leaning really any either way, and I know that's pretty lame, but um, they're really – They are. They, they really are. Um, it could be a five-game series, but all five games could be mint. You know what it, I mean? Yeah, that, that's exactly right. They could – and they should, in theory, be fun, fun games to watch, and, and it's, they shouldn't be – you know, 2-1 slugfest. They could be 2-1 excitement fests with the goalies making ridiculous saves, and then game two could be 6-5 with the goalies just not able to make any saves because they had no chance at any of the shots because the offense was so good. So I think that's what's exciting about this series is that either team can explode offensively very, very quickly. Um, and at least tend to allow you to think that a comeback in a game is, is, is possible. So let's hope it, it happens. And there's an example of, uh, even in these playoffs, you have to go back to like round one and the Anaheim-Winnipeg series was a sweep, but I think every game Winnipeg went into the third with the lead. 
So while, yes, a sweep, it wasn't like, oh, my God, Anaheim just dusted the Jets. It was – they were close games, and it just happened to shake out four games. Uh, I, I, I don't predict a sweep at all, but either way. But uh, you can see where there could be really close hockey um, that ends up with one team winning in short order. Uh, Pittsburgh-Boston Easter Conference Finals is an example I can use for that where the games are really close, but the series game wise was not. No. Yeah. It's, it's the, it's the reality of, and I suppose that you can sort of lend that back to either last year's cup finals. I think there were three overtime games in last year's cup finals between LA and New York. And you can make the argument a couple of bounces the other way. And it ends up being, what was it? It was 4-1 LA, I think. It could end up, could have quite easily have ended up being 4-1 New York. So just looking at the sheer numbers there wouldn't give you a fair indication of, of what the series was like. But um, that's why we watch. <laughs> well, I, I'm going to go Tampa in seven, I think. So, yeah, okay. I... Um, I've picked against Chicago, I think, in every single series. So I'll do it again, and I'll go, I'll go, I'll go tampering, tampering six. And there's a good chance that we will be talking about how wrong we were. Chicago four. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, that could definitely happen. But you know, Tampa, I like the new blood. I like. Um, I like what they've done there. Love that they play, for the most part, young guys. I know Jonathan Druin's kind of been uh, lost a little bit in the shuffle, which is a little, a little puzzling because they claim it's for defensive reasons, even though his uh, shot suppression's not that far off from some of these other guys, and his ability to create offense is, is certainly much better. So, but they're in the final. <laughs> Yeah, you can't really argue that. The thing with Drew, though, is that you, you're right about his potential for an offensive upside, but he's really struggled in the later half of the year to actually score. So I suppose if you get there, it does come down to, I know his ceiling's higher, but he's not anywhere near that ceiling at the moment. I can't, I can't put up with that liability. So it's a, I, look, I definitely would tend to lean more your way in regards to, play the person with the higher upside because he can at least, he's got a more likelihood of making up for the error that he made offensively. But I, I get why they've done it. The vision to see what happens with Drew next year. That'll be the big one, I think, for me. More so than what happens in this run. Yeah, he might be pissed off. Who knows? Maybe he gets traded? I don't know. Is he a sinner, isn't he, Drew? Or is he a left wing? Uh, Question on left, left wing, I think. Left wing. So there's enough. There's enough. There's a slot open there for him in the lineup in the top six. Because if there's not, and they they're going to go with the roster that they've got, they should ostensibly look at trading him for an asset in an area that they need shoring up on. It's it's one of the things. Like if you've got an asset, don't let them sit there and waste away and underdevelop. Ship them off and make that someone else's responsibility. 
It's I, I kind of lean towards the play them, but like I said, uh, yeah. they're, they're in the final. They're they're a good team. It seems nitpicky, but the um, room for error starts to disappear as you start to run into teams uh, like Chicago. Yeah. Which, you know, they're good. <laughs> you better be at your best because they will be. Yeah. Well, really, that's the, the thing that's good about this finals is that you can say the, the same thing about, about Tampa. They haven't it hasn't felt like they've had to rely on limited number of, of people. Like it felt like the Raiders are relying on Lundquist to keep them in in games. It, it felt like Washington wasn't going to go anywhere unless Ovi carried them, which is unfair after the way we've discussed the way this thing works. It felt like Anaheim had to have Perry and, and Getzlaff and Kessler do all the work. Now Kessler did brilliantly in game seven. Perry and, and get stuff, not so much. I want to know what's wrong with Corey Perry. I want to know how bad that knee is. The longer that series went on, the less he could skate. Yeah, people so forget I wanted, that. I, it's shocking he even continued playing in the playoffs after yeah, the knee to knee hit he took against Calgary. I thought his he was would, cooked. Yeah, it would not surprise me if he, if he doesn't have a, a torn PCL. To be honest, you can play on a torn PCL. ACL, no, you can't, or it's rare to be able to, but a torn PCL wouldn't surprise me at all. So it, these two teams feel like the two teams that have got everything spread across them the most. And that tends to suggest that someone that you wouldn't expect to be the hero will be the hero. Yeah, pretty much. Any other thoughts on the final? No, I think I think we've juiced that out. I might want to move on to coaching changes. Yes. Any ones that went down recently? <laughs> oh, no, we, 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 did we cover off on Babcock? I think we did. Uh, I don't know if we... I don't think we have. We haven't had a podcast since he jumped on with Toronto. We did the podcast the weekend before he signed, and then... I think a lot um, of the themes... I know we talked a lot about Buffalo being the, the best fit, and I, I still thought that that was the best fit hockey-wise. Um, I don't think there's too much more to add there. I think it's a great hire, obviously, because it's not so much about the coaching as it is about being uh, hiring an ambassador that attracts interest from free agents and, and the ability to uh, make players want to stay. And. Say Tampa Bay win. Say Tampa Bay win the Stanley Cup this year, right? Stamkos comes up due and what? Not next year, but the year after. And obviously, Toronto fans are always wanting, you know. Oh yeah, I like think that. that's a super realistic thing that could happen. And, that, and that's the thing. Like suddenly they've got credibility. They've got, you know, they've got two years to show that the franchise has changed direction and that it's doing the right thing. Stamkos, because I would never have thought this would have been possible before Babcock signing. It, it is now become like a three or four percent in my head possibility that he would go and do that. I that think he it's forty sixty to be honest with you. Uh, that's what I mean. Now you would never have thought that until Babcock was there. So this signing of Babcock justifies his fifty million dollar price tag right off the bat. 
Because if we're thinking that about Stan Coach, you're going to have players of lesser ability than him that you need to have on a roster to make it successful that will go. So, you know, as, as much as I thought, like you, Buffalo was the better choice for him, um, this is probably the better choice for the league. A good Toronto team is good at making money. Yeah, and um, their front office becoming more and more progressive, up-to-date. Um, it will take longer for them to, to get the right pieces than Buffalo because uh, Buffalo already sunk to the, the bottom yeah, of correct. where he's where they're going, whereas Toronto hasn't. I don't know if Toronto will continue to try and bottom out, but um, they certainly have some. They're on the uptick for the first time in a while, I think. Um, you know, after they gutted Grabowski and MacArthur and, and other good players for reasons unknown, um, they're in a really bad place. And, you know, they've kind of gotten rid of all the people responsible for that. And they'll slowly build it back up, in my opinion. That'll be, that'll be, that'll be fine. I think it's... Oh, I, it was really funny with the way the whole stuff worked with, with Babcock, how it ended up, and you get there and go, only in Toronto could the coaching hiring be like this. So um, it, it'll be good. But where you and I thought he would go, decided to jump on board with Bilesma. What do you think of the Bilesma signing? I think it's very good for, for both. Um, I think it makes a lot of sense. Uh, I think Bilesma is a good hockey coach. I think his track record speaks for itself. Uh, fastest coach to 200 wins, fastest coach to 250 wins. Mind you, there's a shootout now and no ties, so that, you know, kind of skews it a little bit. Um, but, you know, even with that, to be the fastest, you're doing really good things. So... Uh, did he have his faults in Pittsburgh? Yes. Did they outweigh his pros? No. Not not in my opinion, at least. Um, injuries and goaltending really buried the Bilesma uh, playoff runs, in my opinion. Yeah, it's it's funny. I always say this to people that ask. I, I think Bilesma's great at shrinking the gap between your top-end talent and the lower-end talent of your team, so... Consistency is something you're always going to get, um, and that's great for the regular season because you can predicate what you're doing for stretches through the year based on knowing exactly what you're going to get. Um, so it will be interesting to see with what he's got with this roster because his top-end talent that he will have on that roster is extremely high, like he had in Pittsburgh, but he's going to have a lot more mid-range to lower-end talent. They're a little raw, though. So, like, when he, came to Pitt, when he came to Pittsburgh, Crosby Malkin um, had already won some MVPs and scoring titles, if I'm not correct. Yeah, look, the team is much more rounded out. So it'll be interesting to see whether he does just go for the type of hockey that he had in Pittsburgh, which was get the puck off the stick of the people you don't want it in, chip and chase, speed, 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 north, north, north the entire time, or if you'll go to a different system. I think it would be funny if you went for a different system because he was extensively successful in Pittsburgh doing what he did. 
So we'll we'll see how we'll see how it pans out. Well, and I think one of you'll hear a lot of Pittsburgh fans complain about how he handled young players. And yeah. I'm not totally sold on that argument. I'm not so sure he had a lot of young players to work with because his general manager um, believed that they were in win now and dra- traded away uh, just loads of draft picks for rental players. Um, how many young players did they really have? I don't think if you look at it, it's just the way they handled one particular young player. I think when you hear that argument in, in that sense, and it just looked as though he didn't want to trust youth. He always gravitated towards the older guy. Um, when errors were made, um, if the same error was made by the younger guy, he would sit and miss games, whereas the older guy would just stay in. So he won't have that flexibility. Um, he won't have that on his head as much in Buffalo, I think, because there'll be a lot of young guys on that roster. That'll just be the reality. So he'll have to learn to deal with the growing pain. But I think one of the bigger things that draws that criticism was the uh, 2012-13 and 2013-14 playoff runs where you had Simone Dupre not playing when he was clearly doing all right when he did get in. But you have a general manager who just spent two second-round picks on Doug Murray, which is asinine, but he did it. (laughs) I mean, are you really going to deal for the guy and not play him? Well, I suppose you could, and uh, just effed up yep. really by not playing James Wisniewski over Stoner, but that's... Right, but that's the thing. DJ just went, this is the lineup I think is going to be right. I'm going to play this lineup. And they gave up a lot to try and revamp that back six of it. Um, Remember the 24-7 show um, when Pittsburgh-Washington for the Winter Classic? Did you ever watch any yeah. HBO stuff? Yeah, I actually watched that one, yeah. Um, well, I think it was portrayed in that, that Cheryl and Bilesma were in constant communication about the roster. So for Doug Murray to be traded for, I'm not so sure that Bilesma wasn't in there kind of rubber stamping it as well. So, um, I I would think it would be folly if your coach and your general manager were not in communication about stuff like that. Um, and the, I say that knowing full well that that is the case. There are a lot of general managers and coaches that don't communicate about stuff like that. So um, it, it, I think it shows you that he tends to lean towards players that were like himself, hardworking, want to do everything right. Like you look at Craig Adams, there's no way he should have been in the lineup. But I bet you hey, any money. 317 games in a row. Yeah. 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 And he just, he, you get there with it and you go, when he got re-signed, I'm sure Cheryl got there and said, should we re-sign him? And I bet you Bilesmith said yes, because I know what I'm getting out of him and we'll get the same thing every game. I'm getting a, <laughs> play it safe, play it safe, never make the turnovers, <laughs> even though freaking bouncing it off the glass to the other team is indeed a turnover. And that's, and that's the risk you run when you have coaches like, Bilesma, who were not high-skilled, high-end players because conceptually, they can only think... No, nah, that's that. not true. Scotty and, Bowman never played. No, no, no. This is the thing. Scotty Bowman didn't play, no, but his coach, well, Babcock didn't play either and he, look where he's going with his coaching. Look at 
um, John Cooper and what he's done with his coaching. I think some of these coaches that don't have those I used to play blinkers on actually have that freedom in their head to think, geez, you know what? They don't have to just chip and chase. They don't have to just play it safe. How about we try and win the game rather than not lose? You know, because someone like Bowser would have been told his entire life, you're not good enough to do this, just do this. And that message gets sent down. That, that's, that's my point. So you get there with it and it's like the coaches that haven't played, the coaches that have had to grow up coaching rather than playing and seeing what talented kids can do and understanding that you've got to let that talent shine rather than stick everything into a box and don't let anyone colour outside the line. I think eventually, like in 20 years' time, hopefully there'll be more of those sort of coaches in the league and that the product on the ice will be better because of it. Coaching's about restricting errors. It's not about expanding, you know, playmaking abilities and stuff like that. That's not what coaches do. They try to reduce errors. They don't try to enhance chances. And if you have a look at what Tampa Bay and Chicago are like, and Anaheim, I think they're the three teams this year that tried to win rather than not lose. And I think that's why you see these two, the, the two teams that are in the finals that are in. Yeah, and everybody will be better for it. I hope so. I hope, they, I hope it does go copycat. But what Buffalo is going to get um, with Dan Bilesma is um, somebody that is a great communicator um, of what he wants, whether that's for young players or older players. Um I don't think that you hear too many people that were had a negative experience playing for him. I think no, people that have played for really him speak very highly of him, uh, which is yep. good in the modern age. You want to be a good communicator, uh, personable with your players. Uh, the days of just barking orders and my way or the highway, uh, that, that that's dated, doesn't work. It has a short short shelf life if indeed it does work at all. Mm. And, um, mm. you know, that's not what you want. If you're the Buffalo Sabres who are going, you know, I think they can start to compete sooner than most because I think they're going to make some moves in this offseason that are pretty sharp. Yeah. But that's not to say that they're going to be ready for Stanley Cup action. I, I think they may sneak into the playoffs as early as next year, but that's a best-case scenario. Um, so they need a guy that's going to understand that it's going to be take a few years. I think Bilesma has accepted that by taking the job and um, by being willing to communicate and teach during this process is just an extremely important thing for the Sabres during their hire here. And I think they would have gotten that with Babcock, and they're certainly getting it with Bilesma. And I don't think Bilesma and Babcock are – I don't think there's a huge chasm between them. And well, certainly not the paycheck chasm. Yeah. Correct. Yeah, well, whatever about that. But um, Babcock being Team Canada's gold medal, gold medal, Stanley Cups, there's the prestige, and, and we talked about how he's a, a, a drawing card for players. Now, Bilesman may not be a drawing card, but as far as actual coaching, I, I don't think there's a huge difference there. No. I mean, they may have different styles on the ice, but their delivery, I think, is very similar in regards to how they treat players and how they want players to feel about playing hockey. One of the things I remember Bob, uh, Babcock saying in his press conference was 
he wants players to feel safe to play in Toronto. Well, Barker will bring that feeling to Buffalo. I, like you said, I can't remember any player coming away from Pittsburgh going, Bob was a bad coach, I didn't like him, or anything like that. Most of the uh, complaints about Pittsburgh from ex-players is about um, the overall franchise in regards to how it was run or how the club left balls and hanging in the wind. And I am looking specifically at um, Orpik and Niskanen with, with, with stuff like that. So, Which would um, speak to them liking him as a coach. Yeah, exactly right. Well, if I'm Bruce so, Orpik, I should certainly do like Dan Bilesma. He got top pairing minutes for years on end. <laughs> Probably undeservedly um, so. But you get there with it though, and, and it's it's one of those things where it can only I think it can only be a good signing. I can't see it being an epic failure of a of a coaching hire. Um, I think everyone that's gone and grabbed the coaches that they've got so far has done a pretty good job. I mean, you look at um, you look at what. Philly have done with their coach. They've broken away from the Philadelphia mold, which I think is really important for them. Um, you look at the Oilers, and McClellan, I think that's a great hire. Um, so, DeBoer and San Jose I, could be okay. The one year he had a good roster, he brought the team to the cup final, and a lot of the other years his rosters were uh, not as great, and the success wasn't there. So the um, so, and, and then you, how many years did he get in San Jose? Pardon? Was it a three-year deal he signed in San Jose? Three-year deal? I'm not sure, to be honest. Yeah, because you get there and then you've got Hitchcock with St. Louis, who only re-signed a one-year deal. Mm-hmm. And you get there and it's like, are they going to make some changes to that roster? Because the way the roster is at the moment, and and with Hitchcock. It's like, are they going to keep the roster and do one more crack with Hitch and if it doesn't work, toss him off and bring another coaching? Because it's easier to change the coach than it is to change the roster. Even though they've got some movable parts. It's a good move. So that to me, I look, I, I, it, it'll just be interesting to see whether they go in with Hitch in that same roster or whether they do make any changes there. Like, major changes, not around the fringe sort of things. So, you know, whether someone like Oshie gets moved or whether someone like Bacchus gets moved, things, or Berglund gets moved. Um, like you wrote the other day, I think if Sabotka had to come back, they had flexibility to do some things to change the dynamic of that roster. They still they, might. They may overreact to the first round. No, I, I fully, fully appreciate that. But they would have had more flexibility had Sabotka come back. He hasn't. So doing anything like an overreaction could really change the direction of that franchise. So... That'll be interesting to see. Who's left that doesn't have a coach? New Jersey, and I don't know why anybody would want that. <laughs> Honestly, I, that's a terrible... No, no. You're a young no, no. coach that, you know, yes, you want to... You don't know how often NHL opportunities come around, but you, if you take that, you're almost saying you don't believe in yourself to get another opportunity because this one ain't going to go well. And people get typecasted for right or wrong. Oh, yeah, he he did a terrible job in Jersey. And it's like, did he, though? <laughs> Team was awesome. <laughs> but, you know, it's not an attractive job. It's the worst situation in the NHL. By far. Yeah. In my opinion. 
don't know what to do for them there. You know what I mean? It's Trade like, Corey Schneider is the, the first thing you could do, and I know that sounds really stupid, but by the time they turn it around, he is not going to be in his prime anymore. And what good is having a great goalie if you're not competing? No, yeah, we discussed that, I think, last podcast. So I, oh, I yeah, I think no, 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 you're exactly right. Like, you're on the money. It's one of those things where... Um, of course it sucks. They, you know, they got him. He's great. He's one of the best goalies in the league. But, guess what? It's the roster, the right the roster's not matching up with him being there. So, no. so the only thing he can do is win them meaningless regular season games, which hurts their ability to fall down and get higher draft picks. So they're going to stay in that middle mediocre area because Corey Schneider is so great and he's going to steal a good chunk of games. And it's going to keep them in neutral. Having him yeah. keeps them in neutral. Getting rid of him actually would help for what they need to do. They've kind of boxed themselves in, haven't they? Just a terrible job by Lou Lamarillo, if we're being honest. I know people like to paint his praises, and, um, you know, I think pre-salary cap, he he deserved a lot of praise, but I don't think his skills have translated to the post-salary cap world. Um, they did and have did the you, did you, And there's nothing wrong with saying that. Not everyone can do well in a new environment. I mean, he's... He, him and Glenn Sather feel like the last of the dinosaur GMs. Oh, right. oh, good God. How did I forget that? Apologies. Um, and they don't seem to be getting it exactly right. You can argue that Sather has been. I mean, they did just get to the Eastern Conference Finals and the Stanley Cup Finals the year before. So, they got a pretty sharp assistant uh, GM that's probably doing a lot of great work. Well, people are wanting to request to talk to him and they're not letting them do it. So they're obviously wanting him to come in when Sather decides to pull the pin. So that does make it does make it tough on Gordon to um, get that opportunity to show what he's worth. But will you want to, how long would you want to hang around for to be the GM of the Rangers? Before it's you tough know, because you go that's why. They kind of went all in the last two years. They have, yeah. And, and have. you know what? They they made two really solid runs. So um, I don't think it was unwise to do so. They had a really good roster to do it with. Hindsight's a, an SOB, and having Dan Girardi for a million more than Strawman, probably not ideal at all, and it's hurt them. But, um, you know, trading for St. Louis worked <laughs> out, even though he fell off a little bit. With the mistake now, this was a mistake I think Shero made was that he doubled down again when he should have reshuffled the roster, which is what Chicago did do. Is New York in a situation here where they have to reassess where they're at and look for cheap youth now? Or if they double down again and go with older vets or more experienced players now that are more expensive, are they going to get themselves into trouble in two or three years' time? Oh, like, this, is where the, this is where the comes in a really interesting kind of middle ground with that. Um, 
Rick I mean, Nash. Rick Nash, Broussard, Zuccarello, Kreider, um, Stepan, Haglin, JT Miller. I mean, they they do have guys that aren't like old old that are still pretty good. Yeah, um, right, yeah. Dominic Moore's signed for one more year. Uh, St. Louis, I would probably walk away from, unless it was like completely dirt cheap. Uh, they got into trouble with their D. A lot of people like to talk up their defense core, and uh, I just don't. I don't agree. I think Mark Stone's no, okay. Not five point seven million for the next six years. Dan Girardi making five point five million the next five years is just. Re- He's like their Brooks Orpec anchor. <laughs> well, he is. He's not good. Yeah. And, insanely enough, McDonough makes four point seven million. So in a way, McDonough is probably a six point five to seven million dollar defenseman. So they can, can kind of recover value indirectly based on how good that yeah. contract is. But it makes it makes Girardi unmovable. But Keith Kendall um, making two point six mil next year. After that, he's not going to be that cheap. And they gave up a first rounder, Anthony Duclair. Uh, the year prior, they gave up a first rounder for St. Louis. So they're kind of in that weird Penguins area where they went after it. They didn't quite I, I, get I it. And now you really got to get clever with how you do things. Yeah, and that's, that's the thing. That's where you can get there and you can give Stan Bowman a, a really big tick in, in, in that regard because he seems to have, have picked the right players to to get rid of. You know what I mean? It's not it's not so much the contracts you do sign at times, it's the ones you don't sign. And I think he's managed to not sign um, some terrible contracts. And because of that, He's got himself in the situation that they're going for three and six. Yeah. Any other big news that I'm forgetting? Um, I don't. I don't think so. I think. Um, I think we're all just waiting for the cup finals to cup finals to start. Um, and as I said to you before the podcast, I on, on top of that, I would like the um. I would like the the draft to come along and the rosters to start being compiled so we can see what next year looks like. That's sort of what I'm looking for. Nah, I'm 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 really excited for the final. I'm 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 really looking forward to the quality of hockey, and I'm glad that these two teams are in it. They they both very much deserve the success they've had. Uh, they've been fortunate to be healthy, but um, they have been, and they have the right skilled players to make the runs that they have. So I can't argue with any of that at all. All right. I think that might might do it for today. You should go and enjoy Game of Thrones. Yes, that is what I plan on doing right after this. So (laughs) I guess the only thing Uh, left is if you enjoy the podcast, do us a favor. Uh, Go to iTunes. And uh, give us a rating, which uh, will kind of boost our visibility on the iTunes store. And maybe we can 
uh, attract some more listeners and, and get ourselves out there a little bit more. So probably take one or two minutes. That would be uh, greatly appreciated. And uh, other than that, I got nothing else. Now I'm going to do what? So thanks so much, guys. We'll check you next time. All right. See you.